name's Bond. James Bond. Double Oz 7, a James Bond podcast as we're wrapping up our trilogy of episodes celebrating the classic film Die Another Day. We've already brought to you an interview with the Meme Another Day guy, somebody you can find on Instagram. I would encourage everybody to find him on Instagram. He's got some humorous memes about Die Another Day. And then, of course, our last episode, we spoke to Michael Gore, who played Vlad in Die Another Day. Today, we get to bring back our first ever return guest, uh, because we did interview this person a couple of years ago about uh, another book he wrote about the Pierce Brosnan era. I'm speaking, of course, about our favorite nonfiction Bond writer, Nicholas Susick, who's had... I don't know, let's say a dozen, two dozen new books since the last time he was on the show, something close to that. Uh, And one of them was a book called Beyond the Ice, The Case for and Against Die Another Day. So this is a perfect interview for anybody out there who's a fan of Die Another Day because the book really does make some good defenses for some of the positive aspects of the movie that have kind of been overlooked. But he also acknowledges a lot of the issues with Die Another Day, and that's a big part of the book and the interview we have here. Always fun to chat to Nicholas, so here it is. Our interview with Nicholas Susick, the author of Beyond the Ice, The Case For and Against, Die Another Day. Well, a year and a half ago, we brought you a, an interview with an author who wrote a fantastic book called The Bond of the Millennium, uh, Nicholas Susick, who uh, at the time we interviewed him was working on another book. And I think in the year and a half since he's been on the show, he's published anywhere from three to, let's say, 40 new books. <laughs> the hardest working yeah. man in uh, in books right now, James Bond books, uh, <laughs> and the first guest we've actually brought back on the show for a second appearance. So, Nicholas Susick, welcome back to Double Law 7. Welcome, Colin, and well, welcome, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. And you've been very busy because <laughs> I think <laughs> when we last talked to you, uh, which again was only, I looked it up only a year and a half ago, uh, we'd sort of loosely asked you, you know, you know, are you working on another book right now? And you're like, oh, I kind of have an idea for uh, yeah. a book on the Bond trailers. And then I was yeah, probably like two or three months later, Ben were like, do you guys yeah. notice this book's out already? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah it was published in, in, two, in December when the No Time to Die trailer came up. Mm. I'm thinking in updating it, but well, the film has been delayed so many times that yeah. I want to wait until the final movie is released to cover all the remaining trailers. I'm sure there'll be one or more trailers to announce mm-hmm. when they are decided to, to release the movie, if they release it in October. Uh, well, I, I'm sure there will be another trailer and then you'll have a, a proper update on the book. And, and well, then after that, came the, uh, the updated edition of The World of Golden Eye, which was a paperback exclusive. Because, you know, I wanted it to make it like a, an exclusive collector's item to commemorate the Golden Eye's 25th uh, last year. So, well, it has a mini encyclopedia, photos, and but, like uh, the double of pages uh, in comparison to the, to the original two, 2019 edition. And well, then in June 2020 came uh, Beyond the Eyes, which is a kind of a reappraisal, an objective look, I'd say, of uh, then our days. Not really a, a blind defense, as, as I mm-hmm. say in the, in the blurb, 
but just taking a, an objective look as to a thing that I have discovered lately that it's a bit uh, underrated, I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, in, in all fairness, like we're doing a mini series on Die Another Day right now. Mostly it was Ben's suggestion. Uh, he may be one of the blind defender, one of the few blind yeah. defenders of that movie. But I remember <laughs> I back know. when you were on the first time, you were kind of just mentioning here and there thoughts on Die Another Day. And even at the time, you were like, you know what, there's things about this movie that kind of are unfairly criticized. And, you know, having read Beyond yeah. the Ice, I mean, I actually found myself as somebody who would rank Die Another Day fairly low uh, in my Bond rankings, maybe among the bottom of them. I found myself agreeing with pretty much everything you said. I mean, there is so much good in that movie. What sort of, uh, I guess, compelled you to write this as a, a book? Did it start as like an article? And you're like, you know, I've got enough good material here to actually make this into a book. Well, I think the movie has been around uh, in my mind, like for all the time I was write, reading about GoldenEye and defending the Pierce Brosnan era. When I wrote uh, The Bond of the Millennium too. Uh, well, I was uh, thinking that maybe Diana Day introduced many elements uh, we've seen in the Daniel Craig era that are sometimes overlooked and are presented like something new and original. And I think Diana Day came, I think, before that uh, show, showed us like this post 9-11 world where whichever where everything was much much more aggressive i think it was it's then are they one of the most violent uh, bond films in the series i know many disagree because they all all they think is uh, you know all the cgi and the, the exaggerated special effects uh, but i think outside that the for the very first half, it has a few disturbing scenes. It's not like uh, too violent because Bond movies never are really that violent uh, like other Hollywood productions, but you can feel all the, the torture sequence uh, and well, near the end where where General Gustav Graves or kills uh, his father, you know, General Moon. I think that's a very disturbing scene to watch uh, how uh, a son can kill his father because, well, he, he had a, a completely different idea. You know, Moon was more of a try to reconcile with the West and Grace was like this. I think it was the last uh, great political Bond villain we had. Mm -hmm. I mean, he, he was very representative, you know, back in, the, back in 2001 and 2002, it was all this uh, after 9/11, this panic to the to the east. I mean, if I recall correctly, George W. Bush said that something like the the axis of evil being North Korea being part of this axis of evil. Yeah. And well, I think this this was shown in in Diana Day in a way where Bond is actually fighting against a political leader who isn't uh, interested in money. He's, just a, a villain who who wants to it's a bit like uh, you know the the old soviet leaders of the of the young fleming novels he he wants to to take over the west and to make the world the west uh, shake with fear mm -hmm. and so this is something uh, really overlooked i think in in the nr day along with the the intensity of seeing you know you have bond which is uh, who is usually this kind of 
action hero, this immortal of sorts, action hero, invincible, and you have then tortured, captured, and then denied by, by his own government. Uh, he becomes everyone, uh, and particularly questions his, his loyalty, his capability, and he's on his own. Mm -hmm. And I've discovered recently that Bond isn't uh, too much into gadgets in the movie. If you analyze it uh, as, as much as I did, uh, he uses gadgets for for a few for a few scenes. But you know, the, during the the whole Cuba scene and the Antonov scene, at the end, he's he uses nothing more than, than his gun or the the yeah. Walter P ninety nine or the or the Smith and Wesson revolver. So he's practically gadgetless for for like one hour if you sum up all the times yeah but really i hadn't even thought about that until i read uh, that part of the book where you mentioned there's not a lot of gadgets I'm like is that true then i'm like well wait a second we have the car yeah we have the ring but for the most part the gadgets are just sort of things that were thrown in the background i mean that's that's part of what you mentioned in the book is like this was a 20th anniversary film so they were going to include a lot of things just to sort of please the audience but there is, I guess, a bit of an unfair criticism towards the two gadgets that there are just because the silliness. And one of the things I sort of thought about as I was reading this is you spent a lot of time uh, addressing the time period this was made in. And uh, yeah. one part being, as you mentioned, this is after 9-11. And I think most of us who were around at the time will remember there were a ton of movies that were delayed yeah. because of 9-11 because like, oh, we can't show this right now. And this movie, yeah. <laughs> it was one of the first ones that sort of went into production with 9-11 in the rearview mirror. So they kind of had to toe a bit of a fine line, I think, between we need to address this because we're living in a different world, but do we have to balance this, you know, with some of the goofiness just because it is a heavy subject matter? Do you feel like uh, maybe some of the silly stuff we got in Die the other day was because they needed to lighten the tone so this wouldn't just be, you know, a response to 9-11 film? Yeah, perhaps. I think uh, it had... I think Dying uh, Day is a very generational film because deep inside all Bond films are dated in a way. Golden Eyes, uh, You Only Live Twice Is, and well, even Let Die to the Black Exploitation movies as well. Even the, the Craig movies will be dated at one point and mm -hmm. linked to the, to the current times. But uh, well, I think. Uh, most of the productions we've seen from 2000 to 2005 had this kind of mix between what is, which is um, this kind of, I don't want to use the word campiness, but uh, mm -hmm. this kind of uh, funny, entertaining quality where things are a bit uh, exaggerated. And well, you have this seriousness and darkness of the, of a new world where the United States and the United Kingdom aren't as as strong or as protected as they were. There were relatively safe safe uh, territories in the earlier, and when after the the 9/11, everything became like uh, more dangerous or more aggressive than it was before. So, well, I. I've been comparing, I compared Diana Day to Elias, to Mission Impossible 2, to mm -hmm. Charlie's Angels, that were productions made between 2000 and 2002. And they all had this sort of uh, violence mix with fun, with entertainment. You have, uh, I mean, 
if we I think it's one of the the movies Diana uh, Day where where we, you can see really see the the spy world in a way that uh, John Le Carré or other others I mean Len Dayton from the previous file uh, try to depict you know you mm -hmm. have uh, Bond is not like an action hero as in as he was in in other movies he's uh, He's a, a spy, a, a tool of the government, and you know you can feel that for political reasons or for or when he's considered a threat by the Americans, MI6 can put him away, can ditch him, and send him to reevaluation because he's he's considered a threat. So, well, that's a bit of the the real spy world. They compared it to. Francis uh, Gary Powell from you know the the movie Bridge of Spies and which was based on a on a real situation with even featured a, an exchange. I mean that uh, I took that from the from the DVD data stream section that was produced by Sean Cox. So he's a a very uh, trusty author in the in the Bond universe. Mm -hmm. So. Well, I, I was thinking that, I mean, a, a policeman or a soldier, when they are faced uh, in dangerous situations like Bond was, is usually welcome. I mean, take a, a soldier uh, or a Marine captured in North Korea and then it, it changed and returned to his homeland and he's received welcome like a hero because he, he has endured all that. And this isn't the case of Bond. He... He he goes uh, through hell and then he's uh, he's punished for that. He's uh, mm. that's uh, a reason why the trailer said betrayed, captured, and abandoned. Bond yeah. is abandoned by by MI6. So this is uh, something really crude to see in in a hero we or a handy hero we get uh, we got to love so much. Yeah, and I mean I think that the phrase I, I, you you'll probably know which one to correct me on, but I, I sort of remember it as like you refer to like the dirty side of espionage, and you reference it a couple of yeah. times. We get into that quite a bit in Die Another Day, which again is I think is something that people don't often give a lot of credit to the movie for. Uh, and again, this is coming from somebody who now looks back on it and says, yeah, certain things don't work about that movie. But if you think about it, we have the Timothy Dalton license to kill where he kind of goes rogue, but that's handled yeah. in a very 80s way. That's like the, you know, give me your badge, give me your gun type thing. <laughs> Whereas this is totally different. It really is a spy's world. Something you would never have thought about in Bond before. You know, your country, people who love you, who care about you like M are like, you know what? You're still just a tool. I mean, we, we can't do anything about that. And it is great that this movie spent uh, a long time uh, really getting into that before they get to, you know, some of the more goofy action stuff. It's not just a small thing that like they tried this, but it, it's really like a huge chunk of the movie. The first hour is really dealing with some pretty complex stuff. Yeah. I mean, in, for example, you mentioned License to Kill. I felt that in License to Kill, yes, it's the, actually the first movie where Bond goes rogue, but uh, M or anyone else uh, or Q or I mean the, the American government they see Bond as a threat and they they actually expel him because he's into revenge. And well, he but he isn't considered like a, some sort of a traitor of, of a, or a danger. I mean, in Diana Day, Em is worried because she thinks that Bond might have uh, slipped information during the torture and that didn't happen in License to Kill. It was more a case of uh, 
well, he's off to uh, running off a vendetta and we have to let him, let him go and stop him. But here in Diana Dates, uh, it's a different case. I mean, he's drummed out of the, the service and his double O license is revoked once again. Mm-hmm. He has to find his, he has to clean his name uh, on his own and, and he's, uh, he's completely without backup. He, he touches, he does what a, a rogue spy would do. He, he goes to Mr. Chang in a former Hong Kong agent and then mm-hmm. he touches a, a sleeper agent in, in Cuba. He, he tries to go to those contacts and he kind of works, you know, remember the, the miniseries, the series Bar Notice, which is a little bit like mm. what Bond does in, in the beginning of Day and Our Day. He's a burned agent and he has to find resources on his own to, to move on and, and clean his name. Uh, one of the things that uh, I really appreciate in the book is, uh, again, as you said, not just a blind offense, but let's look back and think, why is this movie looked at differently now than it was before? And the part that stuck out to me the most was uh, you going through what you mentioned a little bit earlier, which is sort of the visual style of the early 2000s. You mentioned Charlie's Angels and uh, Mission Impossible 2. I mean, those movies were fresh at that time. It's not like Die Another Day was the first movie to kind of use that really flashy look and a little bit of goofiness with the action. Swordfish, another one that you mentioned quite a bit, a lot of similarities visually to Die Another Day style. And I think that that is maybe one of the unfortunate things, you know, for better or worse, the movie seems to be dated because it fits in this time period so well. And I think some of the other Bond movies like Diamonds Are Forever, you know, you look at that, you're like, well, that's a 70s movie, right? Uh, But I think we're probably unfortunately just at a time where things have shifted so much that that's like this generation that's coming up now. That's what they look at as, oh, that's old style, you know, And, and it is so early 2000s. But potentially there is, you know, going to be a, a year to come, a decade to come when people look back fondly at that style because it's, it's not so fresh in their memories. Well, I came across a comment on a, on a Bond group on Facebook and someone who was, a, I think, a newcomer to the, to the Bond universe uh, wrote something like, uh, I, I didn't watch Diana Day because I, in the internet, everyone was saying it was a bad movie and... Mm. But once I did, I got myself to watch it, and now I've discovered it's not really that bad, and, and it has it's a very entertaining movie, and it's a, it's a well, it's a it's great fun, and it has a lot of great scenes, and well, mm-hmm. I think that's a, that's a little bit uh, that's a generational aspect uh, you are talking about. Mm-hmm. I think, for example. Uh, well, like you said, all the movies like uh, Charlie's Angels or Swordfish, they had all this style of day in our day. And well, I think it's if you don't like those movies, it's something more that uh, related to not liking that style. Mm-hmm. Eon Productions, uh, I mean, Michael and Barbara are always uh, watching where the world is going. Which was what Cavi did also in the, in the 60s, in the 70s, where to take Bond because you know Bond is uh, is usually associated with the 60s, but I think there's a Bond for the 70s, for the 80s, for the 90s, and well, Diana Day was the Bond of the millennium, and 
I think between 1999 and 2002, they looked uh, where the world was coming to and what uh, where Hollywood was, mm -hmm. uh, what Hollywood was trying to do. And they were all like uh, doing this experimenting with uh, new technologies, new special effects. Uh, they wanted to show up like big, big muscles, you know, all this technology. Yeah. Even in, in my country, in Argentina, you know, it was... Uh, this uh, thing of, uh, well, we have to prove that we have these new modern machines and, and computers and have CGA everywhere. I, I remember TV series or even novelas that involved action and you could see a, a CGA flying bullet like in, yeah. in the gun barrel of Diana Day. And so it was a generational thing that uh, Diana Day had. And they were, they also looked at the numbers, you know. Swordfish wasn't a, a great success, but Charlie's Angel was very was a box office hit. Uh, Mission Impossible 2, I think it was the most uh, successful mm -hmm. theme of 2000. So, I mean, I can understand why. I personally not too fond of the speed ramps and all these uh, dinosaur day effects, but I understand and I think deep inside they did the right thing in in trying to appeal a younger generation and, and going for these sort of things. You know, everyone, everyone who was uh, eight or 10 years old when, when the movie was out. How old were you when this movie came out? Because I think that's the other thing is that yes. I remember I was, I was, I think, uh, 19 or 20 when this came out, somewhere around there. And uh, I loved it at the time. And it is just one of these things where you look back yeah. and it's like, well, now it's so dated. But I mean, I think this movie at the time it had a good reputation. People walked out enjoying it. People went back to see it again. It was one of the most successful movies ever. Yes, I was 12. Uh, in Argentina, it was released on January, 2003. And I remembered I loved it. Then when it came to video, I felt it wasn't that good as that I was a little carried away by the, mm -hmm. the big screen and to see you know, the hype of getting, of seeing on Bond's return, but other than that, I think uh, lately, like in, in the past five or six years, I became to appreciate it more and well, it uh, and it was, I, I discovered it was a great success. Many even say that uh, the Brosnan era uh, came to, it was, uh, the, the Brosnan era was over just because uh, Diana Day was uh, a flop and it wasn't a successful movie, but no, it uh, back then it was the highest grossing Bond movie of all time. It, it had grossed uh, had grossed better than all the Brosnan movies as well. So and the critics uh, were mixed. Like some a few were claiming that well, it they went too far with the the style, the action style, and all that, but. In fact, I, I quote Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly who said, this is the first Bond movie that uh, actually has, the, has Bond's future at stake. I mean, and Owen Gleiberman hated GoldenEye back in 1995, <laughs> but when he watched Die Our Day, he said, well, this one is different. This one mm -hmm. is, uh, it's, it's making us think uh, well, what could happen if Bond is, uh, why we need Bond so much? Why we need an action hero like Bond and why he's uh, so useful and what would happen if he failed? 
for the first time in his life a, a mission and how much how would the government react so i think yes uh, it's a uh, the story has been rewritten and many times he said that the, the film was a flop and then casino royale saved everything and well i i particularly like casino royale it's directed by martin gabel so it's one of my favorite bond films but i don't i think it was uh, to compare dino day and casino royale it was the kind of the swap of style between Moonraker and For Years Only, mm -hmm. which is, they realized they had to, to show a more grounded Mon movie, and well, they they toned down the, the special effects, but I don't think it was, uh, the and well, there, there was the phenomenon of uh, rebooting popular franchise, mm -hmm. you know, Batman, Superman, so they applied that, that style to Bond, but I don't think it was a Casino Royale was a direct consequence of the NRD's failure. Mm -hmm. I remember in back in, as early as January 2003, uh, the the vice president or the president of MGM said uh, the NRD is the winning formula. We have to double down on this in in the next Bond movie. And uh, well, they they even planned a, a jinx. Uh, a Jigs movie, a spin-off. Yeah. Well, they it didn't went off. It didn't go on because I heard the when Charlie Sanger sued didn't go didn't do well, and uh, Tomb Raider too, I think, or or Catwoman, mm -hmm. Catwoman yeah. very yeah. It wasn't the, the those were were flops, I think, and so they MGM pulled the plug, and then they wanted like uh, too much. Uh, I think Barbara Broccoli asked for, for a big budget that MGM didn't want to risk. But, well, I think there there wasn't this idea of... I mean, I think in, in the case of License to Kill, uh, Albert Broccoli was kind of very sure that the movie was didn't do well at the box office and immediately thought of reinventing most of the things and going back to the old one side. But in Dianor Day, I think it was a, a decision taken by 2004, 2005, like when they were noticing that uh, most movies were were going into a, a darker territory than, which was reflected in Dianor Day, but uh, I mean more in the style of the Mon movies or the, I mean, the, the this serious uh, spy dramas. Well, now that I mentioned Dalias before, but you know, what I think in the third or the fourth season of Alias, which was uh, 2005 or 2006, we have an, invinci an invisible car, a mini mm -hmm. car, it was actually, and also, uh, you know, the DNA, DNA transplant, uh, we have it with, with one of the char characters that uh, tries to. <laughs> That, that converts her, herself into into Sydney Bristow. Mm -hmm. So I mean, both elements that were so much criticized in in the NR day were reworked in Alias. And yeah, nobody is trashing Alias now. Yeah, so no, and that's, that's one of the things. It's funny because I'm rewatching Alias right now, and I was uh, even yeah. in season two they had an episode where somebody took over another person's identity completely. I'm like, 
you know what? If, if Bond did this, it wouldn't fly, but you know, it's okay if aliens does. <laughs> uh, well, in Mission Impossible, in the, oh, yeah. in the last chapter of the first session, the first season with, uh, you know, with Stephen Hill, mm-hmm. you have Barney, he invents some kind of a, of a square of a capital with, which gives him invisibility. Mm-hmm. Nobody <laughs> said back then that the the series is a disaster that we have to change everything. I mean, and besides, the the invisible cloak isn't something really far fetched. I mean, people were working on it, on it, and of course, they in the movie they made it with CGI, but uh, they were basic. They were based on something that actually has. Uh, has a, a present yeah exactly in reality like all bond gadgets i mean i i doubt very much that the aston martin db5 in 1964 would if a real life aston martin <laughs> db5 would have a homer it would have to have about a cpu of the size of a fridge in the back in the in the roof i mean yeah, we, well, we just need to get to that point where you know technology catches up to die another day and then it's not going to be as silly anymore right <laughs> Yeah. You know, one of the things you mentioned, it was uh, Jinx and uh, her spinoff and all that. Uh, but uh, the part, part that I found really interesting in your book, again, the book is called Beyond the Ice, the case for and against Die Another Day, because you do cover both. And uh, just in addressing Halle Berry and Jinx and some of the things that don't work about her in that movie and even some of the criticism she's received, you also mentioned you have to consider, just like with the, the style of the movie and all that, the time period it came out in. She was cast... She was famous. People knew who she was, but she wasn't an Oscar winner. And then she wins this Oscar. And because of that, the marketing campaign of this movie, almost, I think, I'm not a fan of what she does in the movie and her character, the way it's presented and all that. But it does, in a way, set it up for failure, for disappointment, because uh, she was so overhyped as, oh, it's Halle Berry and James Bond. She's going to be the, the female James Bond and all that, which really just came down to the fact that she had the Oscar winner. Do you feel like if this movie had... Uh, maybe marketed a little bit differently, people would be a little more forgiving of Halle Berry if they didn't have those expectations. She's going to be the greatest Bond girl ever. I think it it didn't really have to do with the marketing, but with the way Jinx was uh, presented. I think she sometimes she's too strict. Uh, if we compare it with Bond, I mean, take for example Senya Onatop, which is on the other side. She's mm-hmm. a villain, but that's my idea of how a, a female bond would look. I mean, you know, Xenia dresses with, uh, you know, she has uh, the best clothes, uh, she can handle weapons, she even has a martini prepared in a similar way Bond does. She's a woman of the, of the high class and that's how I, and she, well, she uses sex, uh, although, mm-hmm. although Bond never kills a woman during lovemaking, but uh, seeing both use sex as a weapon, and I think that would be the how I imagine a female Bond, really. Mm-hmm. And, well, James uh, had the quotes and the lines like that were a little bit too strict for my taste uh, and to compare it with, with Bond, like, you know, when she tells uh, Miranda Frost, oh, he did you, I don't know, I don't know that desperate? so desperate. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's, I think that... A female Bond wouldn't say that. Would be like uh, more classy or more stylish. Mm-hmm. Jinx, I think, was very American. I mean, in a way of uh, was like lighthearted. Uh, she was like the style of. Uh, she was more of 
of a well in fact she was an american agent and mm -hmm. she didn't have this exoticism uh, that one has always had but i don't think it has to do with the market i think i think they did well because they wanted to cash in into into Halle Berry's Oscar win and popularity, you know, in, she was very popular in Swordfish and mm -hmm. they went after, I mean, nowadays uh, in No Time to Die, they went after Rami Malek, after Bohemian yeah. Rhapsody. And well, they went to after Javier Bardem, after... Uh, no Country, yeah. You know, No, no Country for Men. So they know where they're going. They they try to, to look well, Billie Eilish too. And Madonna was... Uh, I mean, she was popular in the 80s, but uh, she was still in the in everybody's. Uh, I mean, everybody still like Madonna, and she had so many fans. Maybe, in fact, uh, why they chose Madonna because uh, the first uh, three Bond themes of the Brosnan era pleased the fans, but didn't please too much general audiences. So they went to a popular name to attract more more followers. Mm -hmm. So I can understand why they went for, for Halle Berry and why they promoted her so much. I don't think the marketing has failed there, but they failed in the way Jinx was portrayed on the big screen and on the script. I think had they made Jinx more classy and more, more exotic as on this, it would have worked much better. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I kind of uh, mentioned when we did our recap of Die the other day that it's almost like every time she delivers a line, she's waiting for the boom afterwards, you know? It's yeah. too distracting, you know? It, it, it doesn't have that class, like you said, that elegance, which really is what Pierce carried as well. Uh, now, this book is not the only book you've written, uh, but uh, first of all, can you just kind of let people know uh, beyond the ice where they can find it? And then as well, what other stuff do you have that has already come out or what are you working on right now? Well, now I'm translating For England James, which is my last book on, on GoldenEye. It's a, no, it's not a, like the world of GoldenEye. It's not an, really an, an essay of a movie comparing to the Cold War and all that. But For England, James is my last book and my latest book. And well, it's, uh, it's kind of a recap of every scene of GoldenEye from the beginning to the end. And I share my thoughts on each scene and I describe the kind of from an aesthetic point of view, saying, uh, noticing like small details people often overlook. And well, For England, James is, you can find all my books in Amazon. Uh, you know, for England, James, and then there's, uh, I'm translating that one in Spanish. Then there is, uh, well, Beyond the Eyes, uh, A View to a Thrill, which is the, the book about the Bond trailers. I'm and very excited to read that one. Yes. That's my <laughs> next one out. Yeah, you like it. And well, uh, the world the world of GoldenEye, remember, it has an updated edition. I think if you if you bought the, the original one from 2019, which is kind of flat and short, if you enjoyed that one, you should update update because uh, it has a lot of photos. It has uh, new material to extra chapters. I even related GoldenEye to religion, GoldenEye to technology. Those in the no, I noticed many references to God in GoldenEye and to gods in general. I mean mythology, you know, Janus, you know the many 
Roman mythology. So I added a chapter talking about the golden eye and technology. So that's in the updated edition of the world of golden eye. You recognize it for the for the blue, which has a silhouette of Bond. Mm -hmm. But you recognize it. it's a little bit expensive, but I think you you'll enjoy it and you should upgrade to that one. And well, then there's uh, ah the the films of Martin Campbell. You know, mm -hmm. if uh, those who have who love the the world of the Golden Eye and Casino Royale and the Zorro films and many other movies uh, from Martin Campbell, I think you should take a look. I, I took a look at his career. You know, from from the from criminal law to even I ha I had a small chapter covering the. The erotic movies Campbell has made in the 70s, which was, <laughs> were kind of different, too, was a little short chapter, including the, the TV miniseries Edge of Darkness. Oh, and yeah. then I go with uh, Criminal Law until uh, The Foreigner with, with Pierce Brosnan and Jackie Chan. So, well, that's, uh, I mean, I know Martin Campbell has not a big fandom as you know, Christopher Nolan, for example, or Cronenberg or other directors, because he's very low profile. But I think you you should give a look to to his career because it has many interesting movies that many movies that I think have been just like I mean, like in the case of Dan or they that were unfairly malign. You know, many didn't like Green Lantern, and and yeah. I agree that the the screen the script is very weak. But I love the the aesthetics and the look of. Green Lantern. I think that it has some beautiful shots, and I say, "Wow, well, for a for a superhero movie, this is really well shot, and it looks it looks very exotic for what one would expect of a DC movie." Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can tell people just for Beyond the Ice, having read it, uh, you don't have to be a Diamond of the Day fan to enjoy this. If you're a Diamond of the Day fan, you're going to be like you know, cheering and like, yes, somebody finally gets it. If you're not a Diamond of the Day fan, you're going to read it and you're going to be like, you know what? That's a really good point. And uh, you, as, I, as I've said multiple times, some of the things you say don't work in the movie, you just sort of give the explanation as to maybe this is why it didn't work. And it's things you wouldn't necessarily think about. Uh, so uh, where can people follow you online? Well, they can follow me in, you know, I, in Twitter uh, at uh, GE Dossier 007. Uh, I have, you know, my personal uh, Twitter and Facebook accounts, accounts, but they are locked lately, so I'm I'm not really much in the. Uh, I have um, my Amazon page, Amazon.com/author/ns, uh, low hyphen writings, and well, you can find all my books there along with some blog posts. Um, well, there's, then there are pages for my books, and every book has my has its page in Facebook and Instagram. Plus, the Golden Eye dossier, who continually promotes uh, for England James and uh, the World of Golden Eye. You'll see many posts about about the book and how to get them. No, it's very funny because sometimes I refrain from sharing uh, the the Diana Day page because. Suddenly, all the backlash comes, and it's not like I I can't hold like a, a discussion, but sometimes I'm like too busy to to keep answering mm -hmm. and explaining why they're in order. It's not that bad. See, just get the <laughs> book, people. Come on, get the no, book. No, it's, it's really you say they're in order, and they're oh, the worst book movie. Oh, it's, 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 it's sucks. You don't. I I won't say it. no. It's 
it's really a gritty movie if you watch the, the turtle scene ah you don't know what gritty really means <laughs> so sometimes just get a book and read it and then try to like couple says think differently <laughs> mm-hmm. well again absolute pleasure to have you back on here and uh, i look forward oh, to whatever we have you on in 2022 and you can have three or four new books for us to discuss the hardest working man right now in books <laughs> Oh, thank you very much. Well, it's it's been a pleasure, Conin. Always great to have Nicholas on the show. And as you heard on there, he's got a couple other books out already. Uh, one on the films of Martin Campbell, uh, who obviously directed Goldeneye and Casino Royale. And another one that I'm actually still really interested in checking out that I do have a copy of and uh, want to start reading as soon as possible, which is A View to a Thrill, which is on the James Bond trailers covering all the movies. So guaranteed we're going to have Nicholas on at some point again in the future. Uh, maybe multiple times. It, by the time we have him back on, he'll have another six books out. So there'll be plenty of material to discuss with him. That wraps up our Die Another Day trilogy of episodes here for fans and non-fans alike. And I'm going to throw one more plug out here for any Die Another Day fans that are tuning in. On our first of the trilogy episodes with with the Meme Another Day handler, uh, Ben, uh, my co-host who obviously couldn't be here today, sadly, uh, did mention that he wanted to start a Die Another Day Every Day account. Uh, And this has happened now. So you can actually find Die Another Daily on Twitter. Look up Die Another Daily. And then if you're on Instagram die another daily uh, as well same name so die another day every day is basically posting a still image from die another day every single day and it looks like there's already over a hundred followers that ben's gotten on this account so uh even if you're not a fan of die another day i mean go on there check out the screenshots it's kind of like one image after the other it basically starts with just the the pitch black it goes through the mgm logo the gun barrel at this point there's uh, maybe about two dozen days that have been posted uh and we're really just at the opening shot of the surfing so i mean this is something you can continue to follow every single day with dying the day images posted and we have something really exciting for the next episode which is another interview with another actor who's in james bond now so far i think as far as actors go we've only uh talked to robert dobby who was in license to kill with timothy dalton we talked to michael gore obviously last week who was in dying another day with pierce brosnan We have somebody who is with the late, great Roger Moore. And this interview, I'm going to tell you right now, this is going to be one of the best interviews that you're ever going to hear with somebody in a James Bond movie. I'm talking about Vijay Amitraj, who actually played the character of Vijay in Octopussy. Vijay was, of course, an ally of Roger Moore's character in Octopussy. And the funny thing is, he's actually, we didn't even realize until we did the episode, until we did the interview, very good friend of Roger Moore's, and we get some amazing Roger Moore stories on this episode. It honestly was one of the best interviews we've done on any of our shows, whether it be 007, Oz Network, Off the Podium, whatever it is. So definitely stay tuned for that coming up. We have another interview that's in the bag right now. Now, we might be saving that for our 100th episode, but we're going to wait and see. And it'll be another actor who is uh, playing a major role during the 80s era. So you can look forward to that. Maybe start guessing if you want us to it be. But for now, start counting down the hours of that VJ interview because honestly, you're going to want to hear it. As always, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter. Some of our episodes are up on YouTube as well. If you want to check out some of the video episodes we've done, you can look up 007 on YouTube. We've got some fun little tricks that we've done to kind of make the video episodes more interactive. And thank you for joining us. My name is Colin, and it looks like we're going down together. So you live to die another day. This will be your 20th, I believe. Our time flies. I'm off the North Korean. A tourist? A terrorist. The American was a nuclear warhead. He cursed with something from the sky. Don't blow it all at once.
Pulse 72, blood pressure 120 over 80. Liver not too good. It's definitely him then. Mm. Em warned me this would happen. Come on, put your back into it. You seem to work 24-7. Is it true that you don't need sleep? Plenty of time to sleep when you're dead. Ornithologist. Wow. Now there's a mouthful. Looks like we're going down together. I take it Mr. Bond's been explaining his Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah, I think I got the thrust of it. Huh? I was, um, just testing it out. Yes. Got your attention. Well, it seems you've become useful again. I see you handle your weapon well. I have been known to keep my tip up. Well, you're cleverer than you look. Still better than looking cleverer than you are. Oh dear. You want to continue? Of course you want to bloody continue! Oh look! Parachutes for the both of us! Whoops! Not anymore! Gene therapy. New identities courtesy of DNA transplants. Yes, but it's called the future, so get used to it. It was so good of you to bring your gun to bed with us. Occupational hazard. Well, come out, see. Any advice? If you can spare it. I'm Mr. Kill. Well, there's a name to die for. He did, you. I don't know, he was that desperate. I'm so cool. Especially when you're bad. Well, drowning you didn't seem to work. I'll have to try something more to the point. Maybe it's time you let me get on with my job. Who said you? Your mama. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep walking, please. Keep walking, please. Saved by the bell.